Hello and welcome back to Flash Knockdown. It's episode 12 and our penultimate episode of 2022. We're done show-wise for the year, but have two remaining podcasts coming up. I'm your host, Jamie Ward, joined as always by my colleague, producer Scott Hamilton. And here's what we have coming up for you all on today's show. Unbeaten Irish Southpaw Gary Cully runs his eye over the lightweight division and a potential fight at Croke Park in 2023. And the new... British heavyweight champion Fabio Wardley recalls his big win against Nathan Gorman. Ben Davison talks through various training methods, techniques and advice in our Everyone But The Fighter section. We catch up with three-weight world champion turned trainer Ricky Burns is on the show to take on our dance partners quiz and IBF world bantamweight ruler Ebony Bridges goes over the best things to happen in boxing last week. Don't go anywhere. Well, one man who has caught the eye and certainly made an impression on his relatively short start to life under the matchroom banner and has big plans for next year and beyond is Gary Cully, who joins us now. Well, Gary, thanks so much for coming on. Two fights in 2022, two big wins. Is it fair to say that Gary Cully has officially landed? You've certainly turned a lot of heads in, in your short time under the matchroom banner so far. Yeah, for sure. Um, two two big wins on two huge cards. Um, the first one being Michael Conlon and Lee Wood, probably a, a fight of the year, definitely a contender for fight of the year anyway, in 2022. And um, kind of announced myself on the scene, beating Miguel Vasquez, who, who'd come over in, uh, he'd come over previously and, and given uh, Lewis Ritson and O'Hara Davis hard fights. So um, to, to knock him out and get the stoppage in the fifth round, um, that kind of announced me on the scene. I wasn't signed up match room at the time. And um, then moving on from that, um, offer came in, signed up match room in August and then back out in, in October and fought an undefeated Juad Bel- Belmedi um, and got the knockout obviously in the first round, which uh, the, I think the, everybody's seen it now. The, the video kind of went viral. So yeah, it's been a long time coming to be honest with you. Um, like I started out on the small hall scene. This is my sixth year as a pro now, so um, it, it, I've been grafting a long time. Twenty, maybe twenty years boxing now, but like six years pro. Started off on the small hall scene. Um, ticket deals a lot. Like so, I've come from. I've seen that side of it. So um, yeah, it's it's about time now that I announce myself and um, I'm starting to get the recognition that I believe my talent deserves now. Just talk to me about that win over Belmedi because I remember I actually missed it live because I was doing. A post-fight interview, I think, with a fight before. You know, always yeah. fighters will say that you, that you don't get paid for overtime. Is it always nice to to win a fight in that fashion? Did you surprise yourself a little bit that night? Yeah, it's kind of cliche, isn't it? We don't get paid for overtime, but I had so many people come over and saying, "Oh, they went, they went for a beer," or people at home saying, "Oh, I went to make a cup of tea," or went went to grab a beer out of the fridge, and a lot of people actually missed it. So I spent. The two weeks after the fight, actually apologising to a lot of people, to be honest with you. But um, now nah, it's it's obviously great to um, to get the first round knockouts and and to get the the stoppages and the knockouts. Like I said, time and time again, we 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 don't get paid for overtime. But there was kind of a little bit of a a, a catch twenty two or an anti climax because um, I, I worked so hard in the gym for that fight and for all my fights, but for that fight. Um, and to not get the show 
my skill set and what I can do. I was I was actually a little bit disappointed post fight that I didn't get to show everybody what I don't believe everybody has seen uh, my full skill set and my talent. Obviously, I have power and I can punch and and that left hand is explosive. But um, there's there's a lot more to my game and I, I'm looking forward to showing that too. I know Anthony Joshua used to say that when he used to win a fight in the first round, he'd go back to the changing room and do a few rounds on the pads with Tony Sims. Did you did you go back to the changing room and, and just come back out and enjoy the rest of the show? Or did you, did you have a bit of a move around in the changing room afterwards? Just came back out and enjoyed the show. But, you know, I actually had a, I had a little graze on my eye after the fight from where P had caught me in the, in the warm-up on the pads. P had <laughs> caught me in the eye on the warm-up. So I actually had a little graze, believe it or not. But, uh, yeah, no, I probably worked harder in the warm-up um, than I did in the actual fight. But everybody kind of, in the, the, the days and the weeks post-fight, I've seen a lot of comments saying, oh, it was easy work. And I kind of took the shine a little bit off. off. Juad Belmedi is a quality fighter. And I believe he, he can go on to do uh, good things in the sport. But it took a little bit of shine where it was it was. Easy work because I made it look easy. So if you if you put somebody else into that position, or if you don't do the the groundwork twelve weeks before the fight and you don't put the hard work in, then it's not easy work. So yes, it was easy work because of because of the camp that went in and because of the the skill set and the talent that I have. But uh, I got a little bit annoyed, yeah, post fight when I had I seen a lot of people maybe disregarding Juad Belmedi a little bit because uh, he's a quality fighter too. You mentioned, uh, Pete, there, of course, your trainer, Gary, father of Katie Taylor, of course. How is he? I've seen a few pictures of him. He's been he's been in the wars. Um, what's going on and, and how is he? Yeah, he's always through the wars, Pete. Never a dull moment with him, to be honest. <laughs> but um, he, ha- he, he had an incident on holidays post, post just after my fight. Um, he went away for a little break, him and his, him and his partner and... Uh, he had an incident over there where he was he was coming down steps and he ruptured his two quads. He mis mistook a step or whatever and and ruptured his two quads. So he had to fly home and uh, get operated on. And he's just um, he's good. I've seen him lately in the gym and he's in good spirits. Um, he was being wheeled around for maybe a week or two. I think he's up walking now on a on a frame. Um, he'll be a couple more weeks before he's back to back to 100 percent and back to normal. But he's always in good spirits. So yeah. Good stuff. That's good to hear. I just want to ask you actually quickly, Gary, while I remember. I believe for the last, obviously I've known you as the Diva since you've been with Matchroom. I think for the last fight, did you change your nickname? And if so, could yeah, you tell us what that was? I was the Looney in the in my uh, in the last fight in in October. I've been the Diva since maybe I think I was christened the Diva maybe after my third fight. Um, but my granddad passed away in May. And he would have been he'd he'd been to all of my fights so far all most of my fights as as an amateur um all of my fights as a pro and he used to actually carry around like uh, newspaper clippings in his back pocket to show all his friends in the pub and stuff about about my fighting and my career and, and whatnot so um it was he passed away back in May and it was his his first night that he would have missed and his his nickname was the Looney so uh, I thought it was only right that that that's what I wore for um for that night for the first one that he missed so. Well, great stuff, Gary. I'm sure he would have been very proud of you that night, as we all were as well, in the fashion that you won. One thing I, uh, I've just been thinking about today, obviously we posted on Instagram uh, a picture today and, and a video of Katie Taylor's ring walk accompanied by a couple of stills of Croke Park. And I think the caption was just, imagine. It seems like yeah. this dream is, is slowly becoming a reality. Does it feel real now? Does it feel like it could happen this time? 
the 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 more and more the time passes, it's uh, it's becoming more and more real. And it, like when it was first mentioned, it was kind of just like ah yeah whatever Croke Park yeah like you, it was kind of just a, a, an idea maybe. Um, but the 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 more time that's passing and and the closer that the time is is getting, and we're talking like May time for Croke Park, so the closer that it's getting, it's becoming more and more real. And uh, I seen that post today, and I got shivers even looking at it. It's, it would be absolutely, uh, it would be magic. Um, Ireland, I, I believe Ireland come out like no other country. When when one person goes to war, I know this is cliche as well, but when one person goes to war, we do all go to war, and we get behind each other as a full country. So, the atmosphere that can be that can be created in Croke Park in May for uh, for the most successful Irish boxer and probably the most successful Irish sports person and the greatest Irish sports person that we've ever had it would be it would be a magic night so um yeah for it to come off it's it, it would be literally dreams coming true well I've never been Gary what is the what is the atmosphere like in, in Croke Park have you been yourself to some big nights I've been to Croke Park for um GAA matches now I'm from Kildare which is just like 20 minutes outside Dublin so uh we wouldn't it's usually the All Ireland's the national championships that are played, so uh, we would be like quarter final, semi finals. We wouldn't be we wouldn't be getting the big days out in Croke Park, you know. Uh, where where Dublin would be, um, but eighty thousand people in a in a in a full stadium, and um, I would have I what I would have remembered is I would have went to the Bernard Dunn days. I would have uh, in the old point, which is the tree arena now. So I would have experienced them maybe back in two thousand and eight and two thousand and nine, and the tree arena is only maybe. I think it's a ten thousand seater stadium, um, and or arena, and the the atmosphere that was created there was magic. So, um, one of the best atmospheres I still remember it now and still get chills thinking of it now. The Bernard Dundays. So, um, for that to multiply by maybe eight or ten times is is absolutely crazy to think about. So, um, yeah, I I just I I'm fingers and toes crossed that it that it comes off because uh. It will be magic for for everybody that's involved, and I believe that Eddie will get a big shock when he sees the the atmosphere that can be created. Too. I know he's seen a lot of a lot of special nights and a lot of special atmospheres, but uh, I think Dublin will be different. To be honest with you, you gave Katie a brilliant intro there, Gary. Exactly what she does deserve, and I know you guys. I think you used to spar, didn't you, when you were fourteen, fifteen years old, perhaps even a bit younger? What was that like? Because obviously at that stage, we know how much of a trailblazer Katie Taylor is, and, and women's boxing. Hadn't taken off at all then. Yeah, at that time it was like when she'd she'd won like European and World Championships, maybe training for the for the first Olympics. So like I was only coming on new teams at the time, won my first national title and coming on new teams. And I remember getting uh, just going into training on a normal day and and her and Pete being down in the back ring and getting called a spar. And uh, it was a bit surreal actually to be honest because Katie was uh, even then like Katie was. She was the one who was leading the way. She's led the way for like the past the past ten, fifteen years. So uh, even then, as a fourteen year old getting called a spar was crazy. And and I just remember her speed then. I just remember being like having to be. It was probably at that time the most difficult spar that I've ever had because it, you had to be switched on for every second. She was so quick. Um, her technique was so good, and and, and she she was just so good. So um. I remember really having to be in switch on and you would think like people used to say, oh, if you're sparring girls or whatever, uh, it, it, it's a little bit different. You have to take it easy or whatever. But like with Katie, if you're not switched on and you're not you're not at 100%, you're getting hurt. So uh, yeah, it, it was it was class. I still remember it to this day. 
Yeah, on it. I think she is one of those. Not, I don't just want to say fighter. I feel like that's a disservice. One of those icons in life and in sport that you only get once in many generations. Would you say like she she is just that type of figure, isn't she? That that doesn't come around too often. Yeah, I think it's the whole the whole. Uh... It's just her whole personality outside of what she does in the ring, which is obviously we can all see is is unbelievable. But for people that know her personally, I will always know that like if you didn't know Katie or you didn't know who she was and you walked by her on the street, you would have no idea that what she can do or what she has done or what she's achieved. She's just so humble. She's so down to earth. And uh, she's always just been, even as being around her on teams and stuff and on the, the high performance team she's always just been another one of us like she doesn't she doesn't see herself any different um and for for what she's doing in the ring you sometimes it, it can i suppose get a it, it can it can catch people out and uh and they get a little bit carried away with themselves but katie has she's always been so down to earth so humble and um i think that's what that's what separates her she's just she's one of us and uh yeah yeah, completely agree. Very special fighter, obviously, and a, a very special person. In terms of yourself, Gary, heading into next year, you said you're in the gym, you've been working hard. What's on the uh, agenda for 2023, mate? What's What's been the discussions with Eddie and the team? Yeah, huge year ahead, I believe. Um, obviously, since I've turned pro back in 2017, going into every new year, I've said, this is an exciting year, this is an exciting year, and to be fair, they all have been because I've kept winning and kept stepping up. They've all been exciting years, but I believe that 2023 is really this is the year in my career that that I'm gonna I'm gonna break out and I'm gonna become a superstar. You know, so um, there's some big nights ahead. Look, we're looking at early in the early in the new year getting out and and getting a good win and starting the year off nice and active, being active and uh, hopefully fingers crossed again. Like we said, Croke Park comes off and then get a big fight in Croke Park, hopefully maybe fight for a world title in Croke Park if one becomes available. Well, it certainly is an interesting landscape, isn't it? At 135, it's looking like Devin Haney's going to fight Vasily Lomachenko early next year. And like you just said there, if one becomes available, the belts could fragment. Is that how you see it unfold? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, I think Haney's probably got one fight left at 135. He'll fight Loma if he gets that fight early New Year. Gary Cully, no doubt. So many big nights to come next year. We're all hoping and praying, fingers and toes crossed, like you said, that Croke Park does come off. We're all very hopeful it will come off uh, the way listening to Eddie and Katie speaking. We can't wait to see you back. Uh, have a nice Christmas and we look forward to catching up with you very soon, mate. Thanks for coming on. Well, just shy of three weeks on from his epic British title triumph over Nathan Gorman in London, Fabio Wardley, the new British heavyweight champion, joins us now to look back on that special night. Well, delighted. Better late than never is how the old saying goes. And I think the saying I prefer, Fabio Wardley, is that we have saved the best till last. Welcome British heavyweight champion, Fabio Wardley. Fab, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good, mate. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be on, finally. Finally, I got the call up. Finally, I'm allowed to be on of, I've had uh, I've had uh, my stripes. I had to get the title first before you'd even let me come on. Big time is only, mate. So welcome uh, to the club. Um, one thing I will say, mate, you've had a little bit of time to sort of digest. Now you have had the time to process that you are the heavyweight champion of Britain. I just wonder how that feels and and how that sounds. 
Yeah, it feels great. It feels surreal as well. It's then like I don't know if there's a point where it will ever properly, properly sink in. It's it was it's such an achievement for me and something I was so proud of being able to do and be be a part of and not only winning but the the fashion of the win the the way the fight went and just being able to really feel like I've I earned the belt and I earned my stripes. Well, I was watching ringside. I think I, I told you about this before. I sort of snuck in. To the, the bit where the camera operators sit and the doctors. Uh, I didn't take a doctor's seat, don't worry. But I sort of snuck down ringside. I was sat beside Eddie Hearn, who was very emotionally invested in the fight as well. Mm. And watching it up close, it's I always knew that, you know, we've joked about it off camera and on camera as well, that you can be a bit of a slow starter and it almost takes one to land on the chin for you to sort of wake up. But I witnessed yeah. it firsthand. I think it was in the second round. You let out this noise. This You're going to try and do it, Jamie? Go on. <laughs> you, let, you let out this noise right and I'm sure you remember doing it as well or perhaps you don't but from that moment on the fight completely swayed do you, do you remember the exchange and the moment that I'm talking about um I don't I, I know the I know the scenario and the situation I don't necessarily remember letting out a noise or anything you did mate I swear I don't I don't I don't know I'm not saying I didn't I, pro- I probably did in the moment I I could do all sorts. Who knows what I'm going to get up to? But that's that's my. I, I guess that's my kind of my power up, my Super Saiyan mode, where I start like leveling up and going and through emotions and, and really getting stuck into it. And in terms of what Nathan was saying in the build up, writing off you as having you know no experience and being a white collar boxer, do you feel like you're moving? well beyond that narrative now where people are going to have to start taking you very seriously, especially as you progress on to European and, and beyond level. Yeah, massively. Like I said, I said in the interview with you, Arthur, the, the, the talk of white collar is done now. It's, it's left behind. You can't, you can't mention that to me anymore. You can't talk to me about that because I've passed all the challenges that have been put in front of me that are supposed to have stumped a white collar fighter. And pass them all with flying colours. And after the Nick Webb fight, I know you went into that fight with some injuries as well, but you sort of had your time off. You you came back again, Daniel Marks, then you boxed Chris Healy and then Gorman. So three fights from the year, but you've only boxed, what, seven rounds? Uh, Was it two, yeah, one, two with one, Marks, two with Healy? Like, not yeah, two, rounds, not yeah and then three with... Yeah, only three seven rounds. So when, when you think about that, um, obviously you've got the job done in spectacular fashion in all of those fights. But is there part of you that's also thinking as you are going to keep progressing, you are going to, you're going to need to go rounds or is it just a testament to your power, I suppose? It's, it, it's a half and half, isn't it? It's a double-edged sword. It's, it's great that that power is always there, always usable, always able to, to rely on in situations. But there is going to come a time where the person's going to get back up or they're going to keep getting back up or they're going to meet me in them fire for fire situations and I can't just always try and empty the tank and hope that's going to work so I do need to go through situations where the whoever I'm in with holds out a bit longer and I get a few more rounds or maybe I just need to be more tactful myself well one thing I do want to ask you about Fab is I know your your coach Rob Hodgins very well obviously he's been with you mm-hmm. from day one uh, people know you also do a bit of work with Ben Davison but I want to talk about Rob because there was a a bit of an agreement wasn't there when you won the English title that all the team would get a tattoo. And I'm not sure if everyone's seen this on social media, but Rob went and got the British title 
the, the label yeah. of the Awardly British Heavyweight Champion and the date of it tattooed underneath the English title. Yeah. Um, I believe you were, someone FaceTimed you and showed you that happening live. Uh, what was going through your mind when you saw that? Yeah, no, that was something I was unaware of. The first the first one was a bet. It was a long, the English title um, tattoo was a bet that me and Rob had. It was a long-standard bet and credit to him, one he honoured. Um, and the British title one was, was nothing we'd ever discussed. It was just something he'd taken upon himself to surprise me with. And it was a, it was a funny and pleasant surprise. And, and again, a testament of, of Rob and his commitment to the team. Well, we're all hoping you're going to go onto Commonwealth, onto European, onto World, onto multiple world title belts. So what's happening with Rob's arm? Is he just going to keep going? I don't know. He's going to have a sleeve before the, in a couple of years, I think. I don't know what he's going to get up to, but he started something now. Like The first one was, if he did one and done, that's fine, acceptable. But if he started something now, then he might he might end up with a sleeve. <laughs> one thing I do want to ask you about, Fab, we saw it very recently, you down at Portman Road. You've been down there a few times, but the look on your face when you were stood in that tunnel waiting to be announced, you said that the crowd was singing your name it felt like watching it that things had gone up a little bit, uh, gone up a few levels, and that looked to be a very, very proud day and moment for you. Yeah, I think that was exactly it. It was, it was a massively, massively proud, proud moment for me. You know, not to, to to take the British there, of course, and show that off, and the, the English as well, and just have both the belts and just kind of parade around the ring and do a parade around the stadium. Sorry, and just do do the full lap and have the whole the whole place there just chanting my name and and cheering me and just applauding me basically for my achievements and it gives you a it gives you a sense of a validation and appreciation to like it shows you how much the Ipswich is a is a relatively small place but how much the kind of the bulk of the community is right behind me and wants me to succeed and, and wants me to do well so it was a it was a goosebumps moment when they started chanting my name how does the chant go? <laughs> you know it. Go on, you do it. I don't know. I'm gonna guess. Oh, Fabio Wallis. Hey, there you go. That's <laughs> the one. Bang on. And I suppose when it comes to long-term goals and ambition, is that right up there for you to to fight there one day? Oh yeah, one thousand percent. One thousand percent. Don't get me wrong. Portman Road is a big stadium. On a, for a boxing show, at least you could probably squeeze at least thirty thousand plus in there. So it would be a lot. It's a big task and it's a big ask, but it's definitely doable over time. You just, I just need the right fight at the right time, um, with obviously the right terms of building in in the coming years. But it's on the list, and it's something I definitely want to tick off. Well, Jamie just mentioned there, Fabio, about long term goals, but more short term is the plan to win that title outright. Um, it's something I've I've thought about. I've 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 considered it, but I probably won't. I'll probably have a defence or two, maybe. But I think three is a stretch. And, and I also think it sits me, it makes me a bit stagnant. It sits me in the same place. The calibre of the calibre of opponents available to defend my British title against aren't of the highest of ilk. Like the reason me and Nathan were put together was because we were the top two in, in that range at that time. So maybe one defence and then move on to something else like the Commonwealth, European, however, because I want to keep testing myself. I want to keep moving forward. So I feel I feel three defences of the British title at the same place is just going to keep me kind of stagnant, stable and, and not moving forward like I want to. Well, no doubt you want to get out very early next year, Fab. In terms of Christmas, though, excited to have... 
a bit of downtime, put your feet up and have some nice time with the family? Oh, yeah, of course. That's like Christmas is is my favourite, favourite time of the year. Like literally just before this, I was decorating downstairs. I was doing the Christmas tree. I was I had Elf on the TV. Like I was getting fully stuck into it. Like I love I love Christmas. And it's nice as well, because usually I've, I've either had a fight halfway through December or late in December. So I've not been able to fully enjoy it, but I'm really able to just get sucked into the Christmas spirit and just enjoying my time and I'm loving it Fab thanks so much for coming on enjoy Elf enjoy singing along <laughs> to all your favourite Christmas numbers this festive season thanks for three great fights this year congratulations on a fantastic year in your journey and your professional career as well 2023 there's, there's a massive year coming up and there's a whole lot more for me coming in store Well, we're finished, Scott, for the year, for 2022. It's been a great year, lots of travelling, lots of lots of great nights as we sort of went through last week in Leeds. A, bit, a night of, of mixed emotions, wasn't it, really? I mean, Josh Warrington falling short in the main event in a fight that probably could have gone either way. Maybe perhaps I had the, the right man winning uh, in, in Lopez, 115-113, maybe just about... Right, massive night for Ebony Bridges as well. But with England going out of the World Cup, um, it was it was difficult, wasn't it? I think we will all admit that, to get up for the boxing after the football. Yeah, just before we come into Leeds, Jamie, just close with Fabio there, saying about Christmas songs and whatnot. What's your favourite Christmas number? Uh, good question. Do you know what? I worked in Tesco's for years and years and years, from when I was 16, I think. And on the 1st of December, I think they used to start pay- playing the same now. That's what I call Christmas CD on loop. So I sort of have a weird relationship with Christmas songs where I know all the words to them, but don't really enjoy listening to them. But if I was to pick one out, it's got to be Fairytale in New York, 100%. Yeah, that's a true. Yeah. I quite like Driving Home for Christmas. Quite like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to give you a rendition, but let's talk about Leeds. Well, don't, don't stop the cavalry quickly. That deserves a shout out. You heard that one? Mate, we could be here all day, to be fair. That's a few bangers. <laughs> let's um, let's talk about the, the England game. Yeah, it was, it was a great atmosphere in there, wasn't it, for for the game, especially when Kane scored the first penalty, but disappointing to go out, and it was quite tough to get ourselves back up for it. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. In the build-up to it, I wasn't that sure how many fans would actually be in there at that time as well. I thought there'd be like a, a flood after the football and everyone would just come in for the three main fights. But to be fair, the fans certainly... Um, made noise and made atmosphere and it was a it was a laugh up until the 85th minute or whatever it was um yeah so fair play to the Leeds a lot for for getting behind England and and getting in there early as well watching the undercard fights and, and creating a, a decent atmosphere but yeah it was was hard to pick up but um ultimately we were there to work so I just kind of you know flicked a switch and uh went a bit autopilot to be fair but it kind of hit me the following day about the football I'm not gonna lie it was all a bit surreal I mean I think I had a chat with Ade Oladipo and I sort of, you know, when we looked around us and there was, what, 9,000 in there watching the game and Tony Bellew and Cole Froch are, are all stood there shouting at the telly next year. I think every, I mean, Bellew must have sworn so many times. I'm surprised he had any voice left for the live broadcast, to be honest. I think every single pass was uh, some player was doing something wrong. He was certainly very emotionally invested in the game. But I suppose despite the result, it's something you'll look back on and always be able to say that was a bit of a strange um, strange experience that we probably won't do again. Yeah, I can't imagine that ever happening again, to be fair. When you think about the, 
the World Cup being in the Middle East and the time zones and whatnot, uh, you know, the, the times aligned for that to fall at 7, 8 p.m. Uh, just before the, the broadcast sort of began. A bit, bit surreal, um, a bit gutting, but the show kind of went on and didn't it after that? Yeah, well, just just a quick word on Josh Warrington before we, we talk about a couple of other bits. I mean, disappointing for Josh. I was disappointed for him. Um, there's been a few arguments around scorecards this year and, you know, there's often a bit of flack that comes the way of Matchroom about some decisions, which is always the way, and that's the nature of the sport of boxing. He just started slow, didn't he? I think yeah. the 115-113 scorecard, I think he definitely won three of the last four rounds quite comfortably. But throughout the first six, I think probably would have had it maybe 5-1 after six rounds. Yeah, um, yeah, it was it was quite an easy fight to score, I think, actually, to be fair, um, when you break it down like that. But no doubt uh, Josh will be involved in many, many more Big nights to come in, in 2023. One man who was involved in a big fight, as he always is, is Anoue. It'll be interesting to see if he, if he moves up. Obviously, we've we've got the unified super bantamweight champion, um, MJ. So that could be a potential fight down the line. So very much uh, intrigued to see Anoue's next steps. Definitely. And I had a, a good chat with Eddie today, and that's going to be dropping soon on, on the Matchroom social channels, where basically we went through the whole year uh, sort of main event by main event. I think Eddie enjoyed it. He was able to to pop his chest a little bit, toot his trumpet a little bit, which goes a long way, I think, with Eddie sometimes. But on the grand scheme of things, it has been, I think it has been a good year. Obviously, there's been difficult times with the Fury Joshua fight falling through and obviously with, with the Eubank Ben situation as well unravelling, which, which would have been a, a very special night. But heading into 2023, what fights do you want to see? But one thing that's very much... Yeah, I'm quite passionate for seeing Joe Caldino get that world title shot again. The way he won the belt and then for it to unravel in front of us, you know, almost instantly with with injury. That you know, it, oh, oh, it's hard to say it left a bad taste. Obviously, there was stipulations in play for for why that happened, but I think his moment in the in the sun, so to speak, was taken away from him. So for him to to win back a title and become two time world champions, arguably at the minute one of the the most things I'm looking forward to the most. Well, I think for me. Um, after what I said on last week's podcast about Taylor Serrano being my I was there moment of 2022, Croke Park 2023 in, in front of, what is it, 78,000. For me, that's the fight we, we have to see, that I really want to see. And just to be a part of that would be would be something else, right? And, it's, and Katie deserves it so, so much. Definitely. And it's strange you say that. I was actually looking at pictures of Croke Park earlier. Um, I've never been there. So be a great new stadium to tick off. But the actual design of the stadium, I'm not sure if you're familiar, Jamie, one end is open pretty much. Fingers crossed it gets over the line. You know, I'm talking about what, May time? So nice sunny day. I'm sure the Guinness will be flowing. I, I don't know with these kind of things. I don't want to look too far ahead. You know, there's talk of Serrano maybe having an interim fight. So if she, you know, gets a clash of heads and a cut or whatnot, it could jeopardise the whole thing. It was only last week we were talking about big fights for Josh Warrington against the likes of, you know, Lara, would etc and it just shows you how quick these things can change well it is that time of the show once again dance partners on the face of it it is quite simple but let's see if that continues to be the case this week we speak to a fighter who has had 20 or more fights in their professional career they then get 30 seconds to name as many of their opponents as they can in that time as the weeks go on we'll formulate a leaderboard and the winner will receive a donation to give to a charity of their choice now who could we get on this week is always the question. We were on the hunt for a former world champion, someone who we haven't caught up with in a little while, and just an all-round nice bloke. Who else 
then three-way world champion, Ricky Burns. Ricky, welcome to the show. First of all, how are you? Long time no speak. How's life, my friend? I know, Andrew, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. Um, Rolf's not changed here. Um, training away, um, keeping busy. Obviously, I've just uh, like get set up in my set up in my gym now with Mighty Ricks. Um, I'm training a couple of uh, pro fighters now as well. Um, so not all looking good. Well, talk to me about Mighty Ricks. You're now offering one on one and group sessions as well. Where is it? That the fans can can come if they want to have a go with you. And what was it that inspired you to do this as well, mate? I know about the gym's based in Coatbridge. Um, do you know, I'm sure after I beat Roman Martinez, um, and the plan throughout my whole career was obviously to get a, to to get my own place to be to to set up my own gym. And I had said for years when I done it, I was going to call it Mighty Rex. So that was the reason behind that, obviously. But Mighty Mix was in Rocky, so it had to be called Mighty Rex. Do you know what I mean? Um, but now nah, just uh, gain something back um, obviously the plan was always to get my own gym set up um, possibly get an amateur club in that set up um, but you know we'll take it one stage at a time but like I said I've got a couple of pro fighters now which which, which is going good Charlie uh, made his debut um, We David makes his debut at the end of January as well so nah looking good Ricky you just mentioned there that you know having your own gym has been in the in the pipeline for for quite a while now. And when I look back, it's it's crazy to think it think it was about three, three and a half years ago that we come up and did some filming with you before the Selby fight. Uh, and in yep. that feature was a, a great little little snippet with uh the late great Rab, who was one of your your former coaches. Yep. Just how much yep. of an influence uh on, on your coaching career has Rab been? I uh, don't no, you know um I always say um but all the years down at the barn, like I was twelve when I walked through that door. Um and you know, you ask MD if Coat Bridge has been down there, they'll tell you how hard that was. Um obviously when we were younger, like none of us ever used to train. We just used to spar all the time. Um and you know, when we would go down there and like I said, when this every spar you had, it was like a fight. But you know, I've always said for years that um that is what stood me in good stead, like throughout my whole career. Um, and that's one of the reasons as well. Like when I was younger, like Rab would always take me every single show, um, whether I was fighting or not, and I would take my gear and I would always end up fighting. <laughs> um, I always said like when you were fighting me younger, you never knew who it was. And like throughout my parole career, no matter who I was fighting, I would never ever watch who I was fighting. Like, even now, I, obviously, if I know somebody, I watch I watch their fights, but I don't really watch much boxing at all. I just enjoy the fighting side of it. You mentioned there, Rick, about having your, your professional trainer's licence. You mentioned a few of the boys. Talk to us about, about that. Is there anyone that we uh, should be keeping our eye on moving forward into 2023? Um, I know. Well, I'm training uh, we, uh, my, the first the first pro that I've, I'm training them with Charlie Doig. Um, obviously, I'm helping with coaching uh, Boxing Scotland, the amateur, uh, Scotland amateur team. Um, so, again, I met Charlie through that. He was part of the, the Scotland squad. Um, he decided to obviously turn pro and he's asked me to train him. Um, nah, Char- Charlie's doing really well. Uh, lightweight southpaw. Uh, again, we've been in, that was the, the first, he had his debut uh, last month. Um, so that was obviously, he was getting used to obviously the different methods of training, the, the volume of training that they was having to do as well, but you know, he, he done it, he done everything that I asked him. Um he obviously went out, got this got this the win the second round, which was good. Um 
So not all good. And obviously we David Burrow. So I cannot when he messaged me on Instagram. Um, obviously I've knew him for, for years ago because when I was training with Billy Nelson up here, um, his old amateur coach used to bring him up to the gym and he would watch me training and stuff like that. Um, and he was based down south, but he's came, he came home to train now, and that was when he got in touch with me. So he's got his debut the twentieth of January. Um, Charlie's obviously he's waiting for his next date. It's looking like March, so no, I'll go up here. And what about for yourself, Rick? One more left in the bag. Joe, I, I was actually meant to be boxing a couple of months ago, and Joe, I was absolutely gutted when it fell through. So two and a half weeks before the fight, they pulled the plug. And I still don't know the reason why. I promise my missus and obviously my family and that and with everything that's been been happening since since obviously the fight get pulled. I promised everybody I want to do one more and that'll be me done. So fingers crossed it can harm. And we saw, uh, of course, one of your former opponents, Rick Terence Crawford, continue his unbeaten record. Another big KO against David Avenesian. Did you know when you bought you boxed him back then that he was going to go on to become something special as he is now? I draw, draw, I've always said, right, everybody always asked me who my hardest fight was and I've always, technically, Terence Crawford was just so good, honestly. It was just always that one step ahead of you. Um, but, Joe, after that fight, Joe, I was getting a lot of sticking stuff up for it, but see, when you look at what he's been on to do now, um, Joe, I always say that I've, I actually done all right against him because when you look what he's been doing to everybody else since that. Well, Rick, I do just want to get to the business end of this chat now. I could sit and talk to you all day, but you are <laughs> here to take part in the prestigious Dance Partners Challenge. Uh, you've had 53 fights as a professional. I just wonder how are your nerves uh, ahead of this in comparison to some of the big nights you've had in boxing? Sure, no joke. My, my mind is going to go blank as soon as you get <laughs> <stay> start. <laughs> well, the top three, so you got... Josh Warrington and George Groves, joint third with 15. You've got Anthony Crawler, someone you know very well, of course, with 16. And Maxi Hughes leads the way with 18. That is a strong score. Um, yep. Scott, are you, have you got the stopwatch ready? I am ready to go. I'm ready to go. So just a heads up, your former stablemate, John Ryder, is back on nine. So I would say that's the sort of number you want to you want to be getting over uh, to get right. one over him. Yep. We actually had we actually had Kaylee Reese on last week, Rick, who I think scored five. So there's there's less pressure on now, and John will be over the moon. He's no longer uh, at the bottom, I think. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you're ready, Rick, I'll count you down from three, two, one. Let's go. Kevin Mitchell, Roman Martinez, uh, oh, DeRocco, can't remember his first name. Uh, Omar Figueroa, Carol Relic. Julius Ndongo, uh, Michael Gomez, Alex Arthur, um, Woody Greenaway, Billy Smith, Ernie Smith, uh, Graham Errol. Um, oh man, my mind's been blank again here. Who else? That's time. That was good. That was decent, Rick. You started well there. Oh, Joe, I just started naming all the fights that were, were good nights. I might name Remind people of all the crackers you were in, mate. Too right. Rick, I've got to say, uh, you mentioned um, uh, Ernie Smith and Billy Smith there. It is only one point each for both of them. I know you boxed them both twice. So yeah. only a point for, for those guys. Ricky oh, right, scored okay. 12. Hey. That's not too bad. Yeah. Better than John Riders anyway. So I'm, I'm going to phone him and tell him that. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Maxie Hughes actually messaged me just before this started. Saying by the way, A up Mush, he was right to text exactly how he speaks. He was like, A up Mush, 
just wondering, am I still top of that dance partner's leaderboard? So I'll have to tell him uh, for now. For now, he is. But until next week, uh, someone might have taken that mantle off him. Rick, thanks so much for just giving us 10 minutes um, to come on uh, of your time. We we really hope you do get that chance to to have your one last dance next year. Above anything else heading into that next year, is, is that the big aim for you, mate, to have that night? Uh, no, well, you know, obviously, like, obviously, I want to see my pros now doing well next year. Um, but I've already said to them, like, we, we, um, in my head, I definitely need to get one more um, before I call it a day. So, fingers crossed it can happen, man. 100%. Rick, always a pleasure to great uh, to catch up. A massive uh, friend of Matram and always will be. Welcome at any show. We hope to see you at a show very soon in 2023. Great to catch up. And, um, yeah, we'll speak soon, mate. All right, thanks very much, man. Take care, man. Nice one, Rick. Cheers, Take care, mate. Well, Ben, thanks so much for coming on this segment of the podcast. This will probably be a bit more training focused than just a specific interview on fighters in the boxing landscape. So let's dive in. The first question I do want to ask you is, as a young man who has already gained so much experience, when did you did boxing come into your life, Ben? What is your, your earliest memory of the sport and, and when you found your passion for it as well? It was in my, my family. Uh, my dad boxed, so from the, from, you know, gloves and that from from a baby so uh, I remember the first set of gloves I had was like a, a white set of gloves with an American flag on them um, and my dad would would I would train with my dad and then I started going to the gym probably eight nine ten years old um, then I got to about 13 and my dad was very he was a disciplinary um, his favourite saying was never do anything half-hearted so he basically said to me you've got to make a decision do you want to play football or do you want to box and at the time I wanted to play football so he allowed me I was still able to go to the gym uh, and still do some boxing training but football had to take uh, priority uh, my life revolved around that I then got to probably about 17, 18 I, I didn't get a professional contract playing football started playing non-league just did not enjoy it uh, it was it was a, a different game to what I'd been brought up playing, and I thought, do you know what? I'm going to go back to boxing. So I went back to boxing. Got sick of getting my face punched in by Billy Joe Saunders, um, <laughs> and you know we'd spar one day, and the next day say, can we do a bit of training? And he just said, you know, quite a few people would said to me like, I would talk to to other fighters and that, and say, oh, about this and about that, and people would say to me like, how I don't get how you can see that. How did you know that? And obviously, at that age, I couldn't explain it the way that I can explain it now. That's that's the, the art of coaching and teaching. But uh, I just knew that I was looking at it in a different way to, to other people. So uh, Billy Joe at one point basically sent me a message and said, look, would you, would you like to be part of the team? Um, and at that point, I had to make a decision. Do I want to carry on boxing or do I want to uh, go down the coaching route? And I made a decision to go down the coaching route and never look back. And in terms of now, Ben, we'll fast forward to, to where we're at now. Obviously, one of the the most well-renowned coaches, not just in British boxing, in world boxing right now for what you've achieved over the last few years. How does a day, a typical day look for you? Because I know I've been in the gym from 5am sometimes with the likes of Tony Sims and he'll be the one stood at the top of the hill, timing the fighters, doing their runs. What, how, does, how does it look for you, mate? And how often do you want to be there alongside the fighters? Yeah, I'm here all day. I, you know, I'll get in probably, depending on how busy the gym is at, at a certain period of time from 6am um, through till I'll probably get, get home around seven, half past seven um, during a busy period. And 
Like right now, I have not got a fighter in the gym right now, but I will come to the gym to, to be able to sit down and study because a big, you know, everybody goes on about constantly wanting to improve and constantly wanting to learn and, and learning every day. But not all of us do actually do that and do the things necessary for us to be able to do that. So, you know, I, I come in early to be able to sit down and, and I might go back over some sparring the boys have done, even if it's something that I've already watched and I already took that session there. There might be things that I didn't see and I might pick up. Um, so I, I like to spend as much time studying as possible. Um, but also then, depending on how busy the gym is, as I say, when the lads are in the gym and they're, they're active and, and getting out frequently, then they'll have their individual sessions. Some of them might partner up in sessions, depending on drills that I want them to do and what they're working on, et cetera, et cetera. So, and I'm grateful for the, for the lads and the, and the atmosphere that we've got here because if the lads, one lad hasn't got a fight, he will come back to the gym and train to specifically play out some scenarios and some technical sparring to help out one of the other lads. And I think that's key uh, to the game plans that we put together and the development of the fighters. And, and they're all happy to help each other out. You mentioned that word there, Ben, scenarios. And I've been in, in the gym, as I say, and watched you do a few of your sessions and I've always described them as very unique in the way that you break down very specific situations that could arise against different styles of fighters in different moments of at any time in a fight. That method, is that something you developed yourself? Was that inspired from somewhere? How did that come to be the method that you chose to, to use with your fighters? I think that, uh... Whatever, whatever I do, I've always been desperate to be to be the best at. And even though when I was playing football, I wasn't the best football player, I, I studied certain players to a degree where as much as possible so that in, in, the, in the finest details so that I could try and be better um, and make up for the lack of talent that, that others may have uh, more than me. And um, I just sort of took that into, into boxing. So... And now, obviously, you, you, as I said, you're always learning and with experience and being able to articulate and understanding things a little bit more as time goes on. I'm now in a position where I've also brought in Lee Wiley, who's, who's a brilliant analyst and a fantastic, fantastic boxing mind, a freak, to be honest with you. And together, we'll put together reports and scouting reports that there is not, I, I can confidently say there's not a scenario that will happen in the fight that we haven't prepared for doesn't mean that the fighter is going to make the right decision exactly in that moment. And that's what you do the drills for. You do the drills to try and um, create it so that it happens instinctually in the moment that they're going to do to make the right decisions. That isn't always the case. Mistakes are going to happen, of course. They're boxers, they're humans. But there isn't. A, I can confidently say that there's not a scenario that will happen in, in the fight that we haven't prepared for. And that comes through studying you know when we have fights we'll put together on the higher level fights we'll put together a 15 20 minute scouting report video on that opponent so that our fighter can watch that a few times a week every day once a week whatever it may be to um to know what 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 they're going in against as sun tzu said know thyself know thy enemy a thousand battles a thousand victories I suppose one thing, I was just that's really interesting what you were saying there, but I suppose despite all the training and everything you, you might be able to put into a fighter's mind and spirit heading into a fight, if a fighter gets badly hurt and they come back to you in the corner, that's something you might not be able to necessarily prepare for in the gym. 
how important is that minute that you have with them? And, and what do you do you ever have that conversation with fighters before a fight? Look, if you do get hurt, this is what I want you to do. Is that ever a conversation you can have? Yeah, I think with the less experienced guys, you might say, look, you know, this is a scenario. In that scenario, this is this is what you should do. Or, And I, I remember going back to Tyson Fury in the training camp for Deontay Wilder. Obviously, going into that fight, we were fully aware that we... The, the reality is we didn't know where he was physically. So it was always a risk of doing 12 rounds at that level. We didn't really know against, you know, a puncher like Deontay Wilder. We didn't really know where he was at physically. And... And I remember through the training camp, Tyson kept saying to sparring partners, to everybody, look, I'm experienced. I've been dropped. I know that if I get hit, I'll, I'll take a knee, I'll take my time, and I'll get up at eight. And I know that. And he kept saying that. And I felt like when that happened in the 12th round, he'd mentally prepared himself for that before it even happened. So when he got in there, he didn't even have to think about it. He said it so many times to people and said it so many times to himself. But when he was in there, it was just, it, it, it was natural. And the time that you have to put into your role, Ben, especially when you're working with fighters like, you know, like Tyson Fury in the past, you know, I suppose your role goes beyond just being a trainer, doesn't it? You have to be there, I, I presume, at, at the drop of a hat, almost like you're always on call. Is that pretty much the case? Yeah, I think different fighters are, expect or need different, um, different things from you. So... There's some fighters that can almost take care of, of everything outside the gym themselves. And some fighters you might be brought in. For example, when I work with Devin Haney, I, I, I literally, you know, there'll be discussions over the phone and messages and, and scouting reports. And then I just need to turn up to the gym and, and, and do the work in the gym um, that's required. Uh, you know, and then there's other coaches there that, that might be there at his running sessions, might be there at, strength and conditioning sessions and you know it doesn't really require that from me um it's just the boxing side of things and there's other fighters that will require um a little bit more than there's some fighters that will require um guiding through life you know some of these guys and this is something that i've been thinking about recently as well so some of these guys they come off the gb squad nothing against the gb squad they do a fantastic job and it's a brilliant setup and look how many medals they've got but they then go into, um, you know, these are the best of the best of, of, of the talent coming through. And then they, you know, expecting and, and hoping to have um, lucrative professional deals. And, you know, they don't understand or don't have any training or knowledge on uh, setting up a business, how to run their accounts, uh, how to manage money and all of these kind of things. And, and I think that that's another thing that sometimes you you have to help the fighters out with and, and, and guide them through, depending on um, who they are and what they require. Like I say, and then you have other fighters like Lee Wood. He, he requires everything within the gym, outside of the gym. You know, his nutrition, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He can take care of everything else himself. For you, with all this going on, Ben, I know you've, you've obviously got a family. You've got a life away from boxing are you able to shut off is it ever difficult at home like is the phone always going do you ever have to have difficult conversations or do your family understand what you do yeah so I'm very lucky like like and I think it's very important it was very important for me to find somebody that fitted in with what I do because this is I love what I do like this is my passion I, I, I wouldn't change it for nothing like if I won the lottery tomorrow and won 
whatever hundreds of millions, I would still be here in this gym tomorrow because this is what I love to do. So um, I'm very lucky that my wife is very understanding um, and and supportive, and, and and she knows she knows that that I wouldn't be able to live any other way if I'm honest. And your gym is quite full. I remember when I came down the other day, we, we were doing some stuff from Fabio. I think it was his last 12 rounds bar before the Gorman fight, and it was packed. In terms of the numbers, you've, you've obviously got a few new guys coming in in the last few months. What, what, what's the cap for you? Can you take on more? Are you sort of at your, your, your cap right now, your limit, do you think? Well, some of the guys in the gym, they, um, some of the guys in the gym are trained by Barry. Some of the guys in the gym are trained by me. Some of the guys... For example, Fabio, I might help him out once or twice a week, something like that. Maybe if he's got a fight coming up as the fight approaches, maybe a little bit more. Um, and in between that, I might give him some some drills or or show him some things that him and Rob uh, can work on through the week more regularly. Um, so I think it depends, and I think it depends on who the fighter is. If you've got, for example a top, top level fighter that's boxed in twice a year, they probably aren't going to be in the gym as consistently as somebody like Mark or Pat, who hopefully are boxing five times next year. Um, then you've got somebody like Devin, um, who, you know, might not require, I might, I might work with him for five, six weeks going into, going into his fight or for, for, for the last two fights, you know, um, I haven't actually been with him. It's been, it's been more discussions and scouting reports and things like that. So um, I think it depends. And like I said, it, it varies from fighter to fighter on what it is that they require from you. Um, and in terms of that optimum, Ben, just as you, as you, you said there about how many weeks you'll spend, what's an optimum training camp in your opinion? Because you'll hear some fighters who say, I've had a great, 12 week camp, a 10 week camp, an eight week camp. What if you could, if you could obviously, there's sometimes short notice fights come up and you have to have less than that. But if you could have it your way, what's the optimum training camp time? So, so in an ideal world, it just becomes a lifestyle. And, 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 and people have, people have a nine to five job that, you know, they can't, I'm going to go and work flat out for 12 weeks and then I'm going to have six weeks off. They don't have that luxury. And if you really, really, really want to be, like I was saying earlier, the ultimate goal is to maximize your own potential, whatever that level may be, whether that's area title level, whether that's British title level, whether that's world level, whether that's elite, if you maximize your potential, that's the ultimate goal. To be able to do that, you have to give every moment under the sun. If you listen to a great, like a Kobe Bryant or somebody like that, or Michael Jordan, and talk about how how busy they were throughout their uh in their days and how active they were and how consistently they were in the gym. They didn't take four, six weeks off But Cristiano Ronaldo. They don't have that time, even in the off season, they're working. And I think that's something that needs to be installed in boxing. And I'm really against the, the 12 week training camps and, and 10 week training camps. And it's got to be a lifestyle, uh, a lifestyle thing for me, for you to really be the best that you can be. And in terms of just one of your boys, I want to ask you a question about who, you spoke about a little bit earlier and throughout this is Lee Wood obviously was scheduled to fight Maria Ciolara. I got forced out of that one for injury. It seems that that fight is on the cards for being rescheduled early next year. If that is the case, 
why is Mauricio Lara still the fight that you think is the right fight for now? Full WBA World Featherweight Champion, Lee Wood. Well, Lee Wood boxed, uh, won the title against Kanzu. He boxed his man at Trier, Michael Conlon. Um, the ultimate goal was a unification with Josh Warrington, obviously. Um, but Josh Warrington had a mandatory himself that he had to had to take care of. Um, unfortunately, he lost that fight. But in the meantime, Lee still needed to defend that title. Um, and you know, Maurizio Lara is hugely respected. Is um, you know, he did beat Josh Warrington. Um, a lot of people hold him in high regards. He's a very dangerous fighter, but he's also very reckless. Um, the same thing that makes him dangerous makes him vulnerable, and uh, you know it's it's a it's a it's a great matchup. It's one that sold out the Nottingham Arena, and I think the public are really interested in it. And uh, you know, a, a victory there takes Lee onto onto another level, and then we have um, you know the goal is for Lee, and always has been the the, the city ground fight. Whether that comes through, there's talk of Conlon boxing Lopez. Whether Lee can box the winner of that at, at the City Ground or um, the Josh Warrington fight, still, in my opinion, sells out the City Ground. Ben, you're a top man. I know you work really hard. I hope that you're able to put your feet up at least for a couple of days and enjoy a bit of crap telly and a, a nice turkey dinner. And I'm sure not we'll, too uh... much. Not too much turkey dinner. I need to need to lose a bit. <laughs> save, that <for> <laughs> save that for January. But I'm a. Uh... I'm sure we'll, we'll be down the gym very soon and look forward to catching up. I wish you a very Merry Christmas and, and thanks for coming on today, mate. You're a top man. And you guys, no problem. Thank you. We're delighted to close the show today to have the and still IBF World Bantamweight Champion, Ebony Bridges. Ebony, first of all, how are you? The dust has, the dust has settled on another special night in Leeds and another special night for you as well. How are you feeling? Yeah, look, I'm sat here with a big, red, big smile across my face. I'm always smiling, but it's definitely, it's extra big um, at the moment. Whenever I think about the weekend, um, I can't help myself, but just really have a big smile. But, yeah, the dust has settled. Um, it did come down. It felt like I'd been on a three-week bender for the last couple of, coming down from a three-week bender. That's how intense, you know, all the feelings and everything is when you go into a fight like this, you know. Do you think uh, part of the reason you are so satisfied and you've got a grin as big as you do have is because of everything that was said in the build-up and because of oh. how satisfying it must have been for you to win the fight? Yeah, 100%. But this is the thing as well. Um it was very similar. It's very similar to the Shannon Courtney fight, except obviously I didn't win that fight, but I still felt I came out as a winner because people underestimated me. You know, she did. Everyone was talking. They didn't know, like, can I box? Can I fight? Whatever. And the same with Shannon O'Connell, you know, just putting me down, saying I'm the same script. I'm disrespectful. I don't take the sport seriously. I'm just a skanky stripper. Um, she wouldn't use me for sparring. All these degrading um and, and uh, you know, not giving me any respect or credit for my graft and my skills. So I sat back because I know, just like I knew in the, in, when I first fought Shannon, uh, Courtney, I sat back and I'm, that's fine. You you sit there and you you say all that and you think all that and you underestimate me because when you get hit, like they all do, they crumble. You know what I mean? They all do um, because you can't prepare because they see the smiling you know, banter, girl, happy, and they just can't imagine 
that I am as ferocious as I am when I get in the ring and I hit as hard as I do. Um, and she wasn't ready. She was not ready. Have you uh, have you spoke to Shannon at all since the fight? I remember I remember throughout the build up. Uh, I was sort of saying, oh, yeah, well, I was saying throughout the build up, if and when you win, are you expecting some sort of apology? Will there be respect? I know she released uh, released a, ste- a statement, sort of alluding to the fact that there was respect there now from her. Uh, yeah, but she didn't. Board. She didn't write that, man. She didn't write that because her coach wrote exactly the same thing, pretty much on his page. She didn't write that. She's there's. You know what? She she does have respect, and she will have respect because I beat her. I battered her, so she can't help but have respect for me and my boxing. You know what I mean? I don't have respect for her as a person. I wouldn't. I nothing. There's nothing there. She's um, she's exactly what I knew she was. She's exactly how she is and how she acted and how in the lead up and even post fight, um, what I expected from her and it's why I didn't want to fight her because I didn't want to give someone like that the opportunity to fight me, to share that ring with me, to get that money and to get that exposure. But obviously, her being the mandatory, I had to. It had nothing to do with fear. I knew I would batter her, but I can't give her the respect. I can't. I can give the only thing I can give her respect for is. I've just watched the fight back this morning. She's tough. Like, as in, not like she's tough as in I was hitting her that clean and she was out. Like, but she she didn't go down. Like, she went down, obviously, in the third round. But she did try. She just kept getting hit, you know, and she didn't want to quit. But I seen in her heart, it did. Her face, she quit after the, after the second or third round. I've seen that, and that's why I picked it up. But I got to respect it for that because... I think a lot of other people would have crumbled sooner, if that makes sense. You know, yeah, but other than, other than that, other than the, the the respect that I always had respect for her and her toughness and the boxing because, you know, I, like I said, I'd never put her down and thought she was terrible. Um, I just, um, but I just I can't respect her as a person. I I'm genuinely, I genuinely, and this sounds really mean and spiteful, but I genuinely hope that she has some nightmares about that night because – the stuff that she said and the judgments that she did and the way she tried to t- drag my name through the dirt for the last two years, I, I can't I can't all of a sudden go back and go, oh, no, she's all right because we shared the ring. Nah. Well, uh, Nina, you're talking about the road to undisputed. Nina Hughes was obviously ringside. She holds the WBA belt at 118. Yeah. And so many exciting fights. Is that once, once you're back to full fitness, is that a logical one to make, do you think? They're all logical. Any belt, they're all any belt. I don't care if I fight any of them. I beat them all. I'm. I truly believe I, I'm the best in the division, and I'm undisputed. I will be undisputed. Um, whoever's first, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. First, second, they're all. I'll take all the belts. I tr- genuinely believe that. Obviously, I need to get my hand over. Um, it would be smart, and my team, and Eddie, and everyone knows it would be smart for me to come back. I never got a voluntary. You know, I was straight champion, and then my mandatory. You know, like. I think it would be fair for me as a champion to be able to have, you know, a fight first coming back off with, a, with a, this, butt, this hand injury, which is quite invasive. They're going to be taking bones from my hips to fuse my joints together in my hands. So it's not just like a easy kind of surgery, you know, like I'm getting my hip cut open as well. So it's quite, quite intense. Um, so I think that would be the plan. I talked to Brian, my manager, and that's kind of what he said. Um, and then, you know, after that, look at, um, yeah, look at unifying. What's the uh, rehab looking like, Ebony, on that realistically, do you think? How long? Um, well, the main, the, the mean, um, oh, sorry, median or 
average for non-math people, <laughs> the average the average return to ring um, is eight months. But I so that means that I would assume about four to five months of recovery, and then uh, you know a two to three months camp to get me ready and fit um, for the fight. So, but I like to smash things, and I'm quite dedicated as I am with my boxing. I'm, I've had many injuries, and I tend to recover quite fast because I put just as much energy and dedication into my rehab and recovery as I do my fight camps. So I, I am I am projecting that it will be sooner than that. Um, and I'm going to do my best to get, you know, recover fast, do everything right. So it is a fast recovery. I'm very healthy and I live very healthily. So um, I would hope that I am definitely back in the ring at eight months at the latest, um, but six months would be great for me. Yeah, we're certainly wishing you all the very best for your surgery tomorrow. I look forward to some massive nights next year. Scott is going to shout out some some shouts from the fans for the best things sure. that happened in boxing last week. So we're just going to run over a few of these. So just over to you, Scott. Yeah, we've got a couple of shouts, Jamie. Uh, the first one is from Bloodlust Boxing, who suggests uh, seeing Crawford and Avenitian both back in the ring. It was a devastating KO. Both have still got big fights out there. Yeah, well, I think, uh, I'm not sure if you saw the, the knockout, Ebony. It was... A very impressive KO. Terence Crawford and Errol Spence, it's the fight that's been spoken about for such a long time. Is that yeah. the fight that, that you want to see? How big is that fight for boxing? Yeah, it is. You know, it's huge. Like, those guys, it's frustrating, you know, in the men's boxing that these guys just don't fight each other. But, I, you know, at the same time, I don't think it's the boxers' fault. It's always the teams. I think it's always the teams that are behind it. But um, I definitely want to see that fight. You know, I think... I think Crawford takes that fight. I would have thought a while ago, Spence, but, you know, I'm leaning towards Crawford more with this fight. I think it needs to be done to put to rest who's really the best um, out of those two. Because they've all kind of beat all the same, not all the same people, but most of them, they beat all the people, the same people, you know. I feel like Crawford's kind of done, beat them in, in better fashion. Um, his wins have been in better fashion than um, Spence's. If you look at, like, the Sean Porter, you know, the uh, Kelbrook, you know, the, the, all those kind of fights where they both fought the same people, I just think that Crawford's done a better job. So I do want to see that them – and they're both, like, Southpaw, even though Crawford kind of switches. But, yeah, I think it's great. I think it needs to happen. Like, let's just get it done. <laughs> it's going to be, like, another Manny Pacquiao-Mayweather fight. Where it happens too late, yeah, what I mean? is the risk. Yeah, it happens too late. Oh, oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, it's, and then it happens, it's just a mad, like, you know, any climax. And it's just like, yeah. okay, cool. Yeah. The next shout is from Harry Rudd, who says, I was gutted for Warrington, but the right man won. In a weird sort of way, it was about time we had an away fighter win a close call on the cards. Yeah, well, I remember, Ebony, we were doing uh, your post-fight interview, and you were sort of half... Uh, Saying to distracted. me to up because the telly, the telly was. On I know, yeah, and, uh, I was distracted, yeah. And Warrington was making his ring walk, and you were like, oh, "Yeah, watch his ring walk." Um, did you get to go out and and watch the fight? No, I didn't. I didn't get to watch it, unfortunately. Um, um, I got stuck in the change room with you, Cat, and um, <laughs> couldn't go to the bathroom. So, um, yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't. I missed it, and I, I still haven't had a chance to watch it. Um, but I have heard it's really close. I messaged Joshy, you know, because you know Josh is. Um, you know, I'm type Josh and he feels like family to me with the whole, with, you know, with the lead stuff. And I just actually just reached out and, you know, sending my, my wishes. And, you know, it's, it, a loss doesn't define us. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? He's still worried. I heard it was an incredible fight. 
And for me, look, for me, if we're having, it's, it's different, but look, if for me, if we, if I fight and it was an incredible fight, like for example, me versus Courtney and I lost, I just got to, I'm, I'm just thankful that I'm entertaining the, the fans. That's how I am. Do you know what I mean? And I don't look at it in like, that's it. It's over. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's a loss. A loss is a loss. We have them all the time in life. And um, you just got to get back up and, and keep keep going, you know. Um, I do have to watch it back to really give my judgment on it because it is – people are all kind of saying the same thing. A tie wouldn't – a draw wouldn't have been – a draw wouldn't have been bad. Um, but, I, I mean, look, if, if, if it was an exciting fight, then boxing wins, doesn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, it was one of them fights that could have gone either way. A draw probably would have been a fair result. Um, but it was, it was a good fight. And, uh, as you say, Josh will, will certainly be back and many big nights – to look forward to, Scott. Have you got the last uh, the last shout? Because I think it's one that Ebony might enjoy. Yeah, it's quite uh, quite a few um, suggesting the same thing here. Ebony Bridges knocking out Shannon O'Connor. Well, Ebony, oh. you, you sort of uh, you touched. Hey, I've got that smile. I got that stupid smile on my face again. <laughs> how many times? Have, how many times have you watched the stoppage back, Ebony? Because I tell like... you, how, do you know how many views we had on our TikTok? So a bit of you at the yeah. weigh-in, which always brings in numbers, but followed by the KO, 9 million views now in 48 hours. That's crazy numbers. So a lot of people have seen it. A lot of people have enjoyed it. I know. You know what? I've enjoyed it. I've watched it. I've watched it over and over. A slow-mo, her face flopping around, me just battering it. I'm telling you, I'm a savage. And I can't help but be a savage when I think about it because I got into boxing because I just love beating on people. It sounds bad, but I do. I, I love, I love, I just love it. And when I go through them ropes, that's 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 what I'm there for. Well, Ebony, you're always entertaining. We love you. Congratulations on a massive victory last week. Best of luck Thank tomorrow you. in your surgery. We look forward to seeing you back very soon. I will just give you a little heads up here. Eddie Hearn threw your name into the mix of the Fighter of the Year conversation earlier. So that's one to uh, to make you smile a bit more as we as we finish. Oh. oh, well, that's nice. I mean, I think I've done pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've shocked I think I've shocked a lot of people and I'll continue to shock them. I can't wait to have all those belts on me. Well thanks as always for listening to Flash Knockdown. That was episode 12. We'll be back next week for our final episode of 2022. Big thanks to producer Scott Hamilton and as always our fantastic guests Fabio Wardley, Ebony Bridges, Ben Davison, Gary Cully and the legend Ricky Burns. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.